This is not something new. These companies have been remaking themselves for about 30 years in response to the competition from the Japanese. And all they've really done is to waste tons of, of uh, resources. This is Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi, two of the top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, one from California and one from Massachusetts, squaring off on legal news and legal observations. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from Massachusetts. Uh, Jay Craig Williams, who is normally my co-host here, has been called away for business and won't be able to join us today. Uh, in On today's program, we're going to talk about the auto industry and uh, its request for help from the federal government. As we all will recall, what just uh, a few weeks ago, Congress passed the $700 billion bailout to alleviate the credit crunch and address the financial industry's bad mortgage practices. Now the U.S. auto industry is asking for its own bailout deal to the tune of some $25 million. Treasury Secretary Henry Paulson told Congress he's opposing tapping the $700 billion bailout pool to help struggling U.S. automakers. Here's what Secretary Paulson had to say about that just yesterday. In September, before economic conditions worsened, $700 billion in troubled asset purchases would have had a significant impact. But half of that sum in a worse economy simply isn't enough firepower. We have therefore determined that the prudent course at this time is to conserve the remaining funds available from the TARP, providing flexibility for this and the next administration. Of course, Democratic leaders are in favor of uh, helping the industry in some way, uh, as is President-elect Obama. But uh, many lawmakers have questioned whether bailing out the automaking industry would simply put off the inevitable for an industry which has failed to reduce costs and compete with foreign automakers. Others warn that uh, letting the industry fail could have a devastating impact on the U.S. economy and cost tens of thousands of jobs. So today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to talk about the ramifications of this, uh, about a bailout, about uh, what would happen if there is no bailout, uh, and talk about some of the legal issues surrounding this. Uh, We have three well-informed guests. Let me introduce them, and then we'll get on to the conversation. First, joining us today is Professor Eugene F. Fama, the Robert R. McCormick Distinguished Service Professor of Finance at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. Eugene F. Fama is widely recognized as the father of modern finance. His financial research is well-known, particularly with regard to the efficient market hypothesis. Through his research, he has transformed the way finance is viewed and conducted. He is a prolific author and researcher with far too many awards and publications to mention in this short introduction. But uh, Professor Fama co-authored the textbook, The Theory of Finance, with Nobel Memorial Prize in Economics winner Merton H. Miller. He is also Director of Research at Dimensional Fund Advisors, an investment advising firm with more than $150 billion under management. Welcome to the show, Professor Eugene Fama. Thank you, Bob. 
And uh, next to join us is Andrew Z. Schwartz, uh, who is head of the Bankruptcy and Restructuring Group and uh, a partner at uh, Foley Hoag in Boston. Uh, Andrew Schwartz has extensive experience in bankruptcy matters, representing debtors, secured and unsecured creditors, buyers, and investors, among others. As a longstanding member of the firm's litigation department, he has handled a wide range of business cases in courts across the country, representing clients in many industries. He is ranked in the top tier of bankruptcy restructuring leading individuals by Chambers USA. Welcome to the show, Andrew Schwartz. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure to be here. Uh, and uh, finally, joining us today is uh, another uh, partner with Foley Hoag in Boston, Lisa Wood, who is uh, co-chair of the firm's Securities and Corporate Disputes Practice. Lisa Wood has nearly 25 years of experience handling complex business litigation, principally in the areas of securities fraud, accounts liability, and antitrust. She's represented many different accounting firms, including the big four and other national, regional, and local firms in securities and accounting malpractice claims and in regulatory investigations. She also advises numerous Fortune 500 public companies in federal securities and antitrust matters. Welcome to the show, Lisa Wood. Thanks. Happy to be here. This will be interesting. Well, uh, Professor Fama, let's let's start with you. Uh, we've we've uh, talked a little bit about. Uh, some of the uh, uh, proponents and opponents of this bailout uh, in federal government. Uh, what about you? What's your take on this? What's your position on the bailout? Well, I don't think it will save any jobs in the long term or even in the intermediate term or the short term. If they go bankrupt, my impression is that simply puts them into court, but it doesn't shut them down. Uh, so an employment will have to contract in any case, uh, employment by these firms will have to contract uh, in any case. And I don't see anything short of bankruptcy that would give these companies the ability to rewrite contracts in a way that will make them competitive. Th this is not something new. These companies have been remaking themselves for about 30 years in response to the competition from the Japanese. And all they've really done is to waste tons of, of uh, resources. Uh, and I don't think that's going to change unless they really face the possibility of total, unless they really have the opportunity to totally reorganize in, in, in bankruptcy. And l let me throw out one other idea that people never uh, seem to latch on to. I have some background in macroeconomics, and one of the first principles of macroeconomics is that savings equal investment. Now, what, what does that mean in this case? Well, if the government bails out the auto industries, that is finance with government bonds. Government bonds absorb savings from the private sector. Those savings would otherwise go to finance more productive private investment. So in the hope of saving jobs in the auto industry, the ultimate effect is likely to be more lost jobs than are saved because unproductive investment replaces productive uh, investment. So... I can't find much that leads me to the conclusion that a bailout would be a good thing here. In fact, I think the best thing for the companies is to, is to go into uh, Chapter 11. The one argument that I've heard is that customers won't buy the cars of companies in bankruptcy. Well, I don't think you can really delude the customers that a $25 billion bailout for the whole industry means that they aren't in bankruptcy. They really are, whether or not they get this. 
Well, yeah. cer- certainly bankruptcy has been a, a, a viable option for other major industries, the airline industry uh, for one. Uh, Andrew Schwartz, why aren't we talking about bankruptcy here? Or why aren't the automakers talking about bankruptcy? Is that a viable option here? Well, I think many commentators and economists and even politicians now are talking uh, about bankruptcy as a very realistic policy uh, uh, alternative uh, for not just GM, but possibly Chrysler and Ford as well. Um, many voices are now being heard uh, espousing that point of view. Uh, all you need to do is look at the op-ed uh, pages of major newspapers around the country. Uh, and I, I think the reason why many people um, like Professor Fama are advocating that course of action is that Chapter 11 would provide General Motors, for example, a process through which it could stabilize its finances, streamline its operations, perhaps, for example, reducing the number of brands it offers, renegotiate some very onerous labor contracts, uh, perhaps offload its pension obligations, uh, restructure its balance sheet, uh, and all hopefully to emerge as a smaller, more nimble, competitive force. I mean, isn't this exactly why we have a, a bankruptcy reorganization law in this country to deal with these kinds of situations? Well, bankruptcy is a very flexible tool, and it can be used for a wide variety of situations. And certainly, this is a candidate for, for that treatment. Uh, Lisa Wood, let's bring you into the conversation. A, a, a lot of your work focuses on uh, on regulatory issues. A, a, what, what are the regulatory issues at play here uh, in, in terms of the, the bailout that the automakers are looking for? Well, the, um, to me, and I spend a lot of time dealing with antitrust issues, which uh, is a, the law of competition in the United States, and a basic tenet of our antitrust laws is that we believe in vigorous competition as a virtue, and our regulations and our antitrust laws protect competition. And we have a saying we often use in cases that antitrust laws are designed to protect competition, not individual competitors. And and what that really means is that, you know, our system, our economy, and the legal system we have to support it accepts the notion that companies are going to fail as a result of vigorous competition. And although, you know, that's not something that any of us would celebrate, and it has immediate short-term effect on some people, employees, and others, in the long term, when competition works, you know, consumers uh, benefit uh, because the product of quality goes up, production becomes more efficient, innovation is encouraged. So when I read about this bailout, I just think it's uh, completely inconsistent with this fundamental tenet of our, of at least our antitrust system, and um, I can't justify it. I, I, I just, it doesn't make sense to intervene, um, and I think we have to allow economic forces to have the impact that they have um, and give General Motors through bankruptcy the opportunity uh, to readjust uh, its operations. Uh, but if it can't do that for whatever reason and other companies prevail in competition with it, that, that is the way the system is supposed to work. Some, some would say that uh, General Motors and, and other U.S. automakers have, have, for a period of time now, ignored signals in the market uh, that uh, should have prompted them to make changes and should have led them to make changes in the way they operate, uh, and that that's a, a primary reason why they shouldn't be uh, uh, getting any kind of help from the federal government here. Uh, uh, Professor Fama, do you, would you agree with that, or what's your perspective? Entirely. I would agree with that in, entirely. They, they, they have to bring down the, uh, what, it, what it costs them to produce, produce auto, automobiles, and 
I think a lot of that comes down to the the owner's contracts that they've uh, they've written in the in, in the past. Now, in part, some of the onerousness of these contracts was unpredictable when <laughs> when when they were first negotiated. For example, retirement contracts or post-retirement healthcare benefits. People were expected to live two years after retirement, and now they live 15 or 20 years. Uh, after retirement, so the uh, costs of these programs went way up. But they're they're basically entitlements that these uh, that these workers have, and they're very difficult to get rid of. And that's why I think bankruptcy is the only way to basically rewrite them. They've been trying to reduce their costs for 30 years, and they're still nowhere near the Japanese producers producing cars in the U.S. If they were to go into bankruptcy, how would how would that issue get played out? I mean, it, it, they would have to come up. Andrew, how does it work? I mean, how would this compare to a major bankruptcy, say, such as the Lehman uh, Brothers? Uh, how how would a bankruptcy court? How would creditors approach General Motors? What would it have to do in order to prove itself uh, viable and and uh, able to come out with a reorganization plan? Well, first of all, a Chapter 11 of General Motors would look nothing like the current Lehman bankruptcy proceedings. Even though Lehman's bankruptcy case is technically a reorganization under Chapter 11 as opposed to a liquidation proceeding under Chapter 7 of the Bankruptcy Code, Lehman is not reorganizing in the traditional sense. It sold off its investment banking operations to Barclays, and it's basically winding down uh, its other operations. Now, that's going to take a very long time for that process to run its course. But the major difference is this. At the conclusion of a Chapter 11 case, General Motors would hope to emerge as a leaner, deleveraged company that could compete with the foreign manufacturers, making cars that consumers wanted to buy and that it could sell at a profit. Uh, on the other hand, at the end of a Lehman bankruptcy, uh, that company, for all intents and purposes, will have been relegated to the uh, dustbin of history if it hasn't been already. Uh, as far as how the labor contracts would get dealt with in the context of a General Motors bankruptcy, uh, there is a provision of the Bankruptcy Code, uh, Section 1113, that is specifically devoted to collective bargaining agreements. And it contemplates a process originally of negotiation but ultimately, if the negotiations cannot be successful, uh, the bankruptcy court would have the power uh, in order to facilitate a reorganization to permit uh, the company, in this instance General Motors, to reject the collective bargaining agreement and um, be freed of the costs associated with it. Is there precedent here for... Uh Success in, in the kind of bailout that the General Motors is talking about. I mean, we, we all, all have been talking a lot about Chrysler and, and uh, uh, you know, it, the fact that it was able to uh, get an infusion of funds from the federal government and uh, streamline itself and reorganize itself and, and pay back that money, apparently with some profit to the federal government. Uh, does, does that... Uh, speak in favor of what GM is looking for here now? 
Lisa, you have thoughts on that? You know, um, and I'd be curious in the other speakers' thoughts, too, but I, I just think the, the moment in history that uh, GM has chose to ask for this is just extraordinary and makes it very different from the Chrysler situation because, you know, they have been in difficulty for some time and have been unable to address their concerns. They now are in the midst of a significant contraction in our economy that's going to have an impact on people who buy cars, and they're going to buy fewer cars, and you combine that with... Um, the fuel, the increase in, in uh, gasoline and people's decision to buy more fuel-efficient cars, which has had a dramatic impact on their truck sales and larger vehicle sales. And so when you combine all of that, they're just confronting some extraordinary forces that that make the bailout they're proposing just seem to me to be a Band-Aid and, and not not address the fundamental problems that they have. It seems to, be, it seems to me that they're saying, or at least some of the Democrats are saying, that it, it is the very fact of this moment in history that, that warrants this bailout, uh, that they're arguing that uh, you know, the economy simply could not stand right now to have General Motors uh, collapse or, or at least go into uh, Chapter 11. Uh, uh, Andrew, Professor, do you have any thoughts on that? That's an argument that should be taken seriously because there is no doubt that if General Motors were to file for bankruptcy or Chrysler or Ford or uh, any of them, uh, there would be significant short-term social and economic cost. The hope would be over the long haul uh, there would be substantial improvement um, in the uh, circumstances for those companies which would eventually benefit um, employees and suppliers and all others who deal with the uh, U.S. auto manufacturers now. But uh, make no mistake about it, there will be pain. Uh, bankruptcy is no panacea. It is uh, some place that people turn to as a, an option of last resort and for good reason. Well, what about the airline industry? I mean, I alluded earlier to uh, the airline industry, uh, any number of major carriers having undergone reorganizations uh, in recent memory. Are, are there parallels there to uh, the auto industry, and are there lessons there for the auto industry? There are parallels, but there are also some distinctions. Uh, it's and, and in terms of consumer attitudes, no one knows how consumers would react to GM, for example, uh, being in bankruptcy. Uh, you go into bankruptcy, it's business as usual on a day-to-day -day basis, but when you buy a car, you have some expectation that the manufacturer which issues the warranty is going to be there uh, if and when you ever need to make a claim on the warranty, and uh, consumers might understandably be concerned uh, about that issue. On the other hand, when you buy an airline ticket, you typically use it within a matter of weeks or months you get on the plane, you get off the plane, you're finished. Uh, so uh, there is some legitimate cause for concern about the uh, impact on consumer psychology of a big three automaker filing for bankruptcy. Well, I don't know. If I were buying an airline ticket, I might be more concerned that the airline wasn't going to do its maintenance if it was in bankruptcy. And I would be if I bought a, a, a new car that's likely to work pretty much no matter what happens to the company. Uh, so I, I think there are arguments on both sides of that. Has has regulation uh, at all forced uh, GMs uh, into this position? Uh, I mean, has has GM been been free to uh, apart from the issue of union contracts, which which uh, we've we've talked about a little bit already? But uh, has GM been free to 
exercise uh, the kind of innovation or streamlining uh, that it should have been doing in order to avoid uh, getting to where it is today? Well, it, you know, I, I'm not aware and have not read of any <clears throat> regulatory impediment to GM or the other the big three's ability to compete effectively with auto manufacturers from other parts of the world who have come into the United States and and you know operated under our laws and produced cars that are popular and sell well. Um, I mean, their their real impediments have been uh, contract obligations, you know, and contracts written long ago. And we talked about that those have had consequences that maybe no, no one ever dreamed they would have uh, when they were entered into long ago. But um, in terms of I'm not aware of any regulatory impediments to their ability to compete. Um, you know, the regulatory environment in the United States would in, would encourage uh, their vigorous competition. Their real problem has more to do with um, uh, their pension obligations, their health care obligations, uh, and their labor contracts. All right, we're going to take uh, – we need to take a short break right now. When we return, we will uh, talk more about the uh, auto industry bailout and uh, uh, some of the other issues arising out of this current economic crisis. We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information – to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. Visit WestLegalWorks.com to register for the 12th Annual Electronic Discovery and Records Retention Conference, being held December 10th and 11th in San Francisco. For more information, visit WestLegalWorks.com. You've just passed the bar, and you're ready for your first day at the firm. If you always wear a blue suit, white shirt, and red tie, nobody will know you haven't been home in three days. You are ready to tackle the important legal questions. I don't worry about the merits of the case. I'm paid solo to find obscure procedural roadblocks. You are ready to find self-worth in your profession. The value of my existence is measured in six-minute increments. And the Perfect Associate has the answers to all your career questions. Available at PerfectPlush.com. PerfectPlush.com, your source for legal humor. That's PerfectPlush.com. Whether you're new in business or you're looking to improve your online image, visibility, and marketing, social media and networking are vital to your success. Explore the potential of these media with experts in the field via our convenient three-hour workshop. Visit www.searchitright.com and start making every click count for your business. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi, and I'm discussing the proposed auto industry bailout with Professor Eugene F. Fama, the Robert R. McCormick Distinguished Service Professor of Finance at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. Andrew Z. Schwartz, head of the Bankruptcy and Restructuring Group at Foley Hoag in Boston. And Lisa Wood, also a partner at Foley Hoag in Boston, where she co-chairs the Securities and Corporate Practices Group. Uh, Lisa, wondering what's what's is 
we were just talking about some of the regulatory issues that may or may not have have led GM into this situation. What about coming out of this situation? What are we mm-hmm. likely to see going down the road in terms of uh, new regulatory uh, uh, initiatives? Well, it's an excellent question, and, and I'm uh, I am uh, curious to see what actually happens. We've certainly uh, during the campaign and in the the last uh, several weeks, we've heard. Uh, President-elect Obama talk about how he is a fa- in favor of increasing regulation of business, um, and he certainly fa- faulted the current administration and past administrations for the deregulation effort. But what the regulation, enhanced regulation, will really look at, uh, will look like, is uh, it, it hasn't really been answered yet. One piece that we've seen has to do with a question of corporate governance, and we've certainly all read about how horrified people are with um, executive compensation on Wall Street and perhaps more broadly. And so we've heard that in the, as a condition to receiving bailout funds, at least financial service firms will have to agree to certain corporate governance standards, um, and that probably would include a control on executive compensation. And in the past, in our country, corporate governance was always, first of all, a subject of state law, not federal law, and it was decided through cases, not by regulation. So uh, Delaware, the state of Delaware, which has a prominent uh, business court, has handled many cases over the years having to do with the responsibilities of boards of directors to their shareholders and has over the years articulated through cases through decisions, uh, various standards of corporate governance. So one of the questions that we all now have with the bailout bill and with this move to enhanced regulation is whether we're now going to have a federal regulatory scheme for corporate governance, which would be very different from what we now have because it would be federal as opposed to state, and it could be regulatory and be issued by some agency as opposed to issued by judges over time as they are presented with different situations. So that's one question. Another question, because of the crisis on Wall Street, we've heard people say that our securities laws, securities fraud laws need to be enhanced. And in particular, our Supreme Court last year issued a decision called Stone Ridge, which has to do with the liability of third parties for the securities fraud of another. And the Supreme Court found in that case that uh, third parties who haven't made a statement uh, to the marketplace should not be held liable in a private securities litigation. And some people have said that Congress ought to, take, ought to overrule Stone Ridge. Um, and I, I don't think that would be a good idea. And frankly, I think that's unlikely to happen because the decision follows a long series of cases that the Supreme Court has issued over the last decade. But that'll be another question to look at. And the final one that I've heard people talking about that's interesting to me is whether we're going to have enhanced merger enforcement and whether we're going to have antitrust authorities um, questioning the wisdom of the consolidation wave in many industries and not approving mergers that result in a large company, either because they don't think it would be good from an economic standpoint or whether through these large mergers we've created companies that are so big that if they do fail, it has too dramatic an impact on our economy. So right now, we don't. when we're looking at a potential merger, we don't ask ourselves, the law doesn't permit us to ask ourselves whether the merger would create a company that is too big to fail. Uh, but some are now saying that we may change our regulations and have federal antitrust authorities ask the question of whether a merger would create a company that's too big to fail. 
that would be a dramatic change in our antitrust policy, but I think that is something that's under con- consideration. Andrew Schwartz, from where you sit, uh, do you have anything to add to what Lisa Wood just said in terms of uh, what may be coming down the pike in the wake of this uh, crisis? Well, I think one of the ironies uh, of Lisa's observation is that in the auto industry sector, it may very well be uh, that what emerges from the current crisis is some additional consolidation. Um, There has been talk of... um, whether GM should be merging, for example, with Chrysler. Uh, so the proposition that um, we don't want to be creating companies that are too big to fail uh, may get put to the acid test uh, very soon. And Professor Fama, how about you, from where you sit? I mean, do you see this as, a, as, a, as something that should be addressed through regulatory policy or that should be addressed through market action in some way? I, I don't see anything that requires regulation in the... In the uh, the fate of the auto industry it might be a different issue with respect to the the, uh, the financial industry, which has been much bigger problem in this whole whole uh, crisis that's that's going on. I think intervention in the in the market in executive pay would be a kind of price setting at a point where productivity is very important to what happens throughout the economy. And I don't think the government should get get involved in. The government isn't involved in setting any other prices. And this is a price that uh, the distortions that setting prices could create could have mag- really magnified effect throughout the uh, magnified effects throughout the economy. I think it's a horrible idea. It's great populism, but a bad idea. Well, what would the impact likely to be on the, on the stock market if this were to go through? Well, I would think that uh, the stock. <laughs> it's hard to believe it could go lower, but <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I would think it might it might. Uh, reduce values across the board because basically if you restrict executive pay the best people are going to get look for work elsewhere so you you're going to get you're going to have a, you're going to restrict the kind of talent that gets involved in running 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 companies we I already don't think have, that's a good idea yeah our economy and our securities regulation and legal regime generally in the United States has seen relatively speaking, as more vigorous than in other parts of the world. And there was already, before this crisis in our stock market and in our economy, there was already the question of whether we needed to reduce the amount of regulation in order for our companies and our stock markets to continue to compete effectively with developing stock markets in Europe and other parts of the world. Uh, So I think if we overreact and and add a lot of additional regulations, much of which would be inconsistent with the basic tenets of our current regulatory scheme, we're just going to make the problem worse. Well, I, I think people forget. They, they focus on the current uh, situation. They forget that the last 20 years have been a period of extraordinary growth uh, in the U.S. and in the U.S. relative to the rest of the world. I think you could make a very good argument that that's because we have a system that allows our most productive people to get compensated according to what they produce. And any anything that uh, restricts that up but changes it in any important way is likely to be totally counterproductive. Well, we are uh, just about out of time. And before we wrap up this program, I'd like to give each of you an opportunity to close with your final thoughts. Uh, and if you would uh, care to do so, you can also tell our listeners uh, how they can get in touch with you to uh, follow up if they'd like to do that. So, uh, Professor Fama, let's start with you and get your final thoughts. Well, I, I think this whole issue of, uh, of, of, of bailout for 
the auto industry is much neater and cleaner than a, a, a bailout of the financial uh, industry. And uh, <laughs> you could have ten, a 10-hour program on, <laughs> on a bailout of the, of, the, of the financial industry, maybe still not come to any uh, solid conclusions, but there are many more issues there than there are with respect to the auto industry, I think. I don't have a blog for anybody to go to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, how, how about an email if somebody wants to follow up with an email to you? Uh, well, you can find me. I'm easy to, if you Google me, I'm easy to find. So. Okay. Well, I can attest to that because I did it earlier today. <laughs> uh, a- Andrew Schwartz, uh, how about you? Your final thoughts? Well, I think it's inevitable that the federal government is going to have to play a larger role, at least in the short run, in propping up some of our major industries. And that's true whether uh, the automakers file for bankruptcy or not. And it's really going to be a, a question of uh, degree, um, as the politicians wrestle this week with the proposals that are on the table and as the new administration um, tries to clean up the mess uh, starting in January. There really is no good historical precedent for these times. I agree with the comment that uh, the experience with Chrysler really is not analogous um, to what's now transpiring 30 years later. I don't envy our uh, our elected representatives who uh, are now... Dealing with this uh, mess, I don't envy the president-elect, and I think it really will be a test for all of them to see if they can forge a a bipartisan consensus um, to some very, very daunting problems. And how can our listeners follow up with you if if they care to do that? Well, I'm easily found at aschwartz, S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z, at foleyhoag.com. All right, and finally, Lisa Wood, your final thoughts today. Sure. I guess what what I would... What I hope is that, I mean, I think in increased government attention to the business world is inevitable because of what we've been through um, and is a part of a natural process of uh, ebb and flow of, of approaches to regulation. And we've been through a period, a historic period of deregulation, and so now we're going to go through a period of enhanced government intervention. But I hope that in the process of that, uh, and I would I would hope to see uh, better funding for our federal enforcement agencies so that they're able to do all the things that people are beating the table and asking them to do. But I would hope that in the process, we don't lose sight of some of the basic tenets of our legal system, which have served us well. And if we take a deep breath and look back historically, you know, that have uh, served the country well. So I just hope that in this crisis, we don't make a lot of changes uh, and that we proceed cautiously. And you can find me uh, at Elwood at FoleyHoag.com. All right. Well, let me thank uh, uh, Professor Eugene Fama, Andrew Schwartz, and Lisa Wood for taking the time to participate in today's program. Thank you to all of you. And uh, I'd like to remind our listeners that they can get this and all of our previous programs at the LegalTalkNetwork.com or in the podcast library of iTunes. And we will be back next week along with J. Craig Williams for another episode of Lawyer to Lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. 
Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.